All right. Here we go on a typical scorching hot Sunday morning in June in Las Vegas. It's going to be really, really hot today from what I understand. I'm Brian Feldman and this is Out of Live. We are here every Sunday morning at 8 on Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM and 1340 AM, flagship of the Vegas Golden Knights. We are coming to you live from the Wiz Den in Las Vegas because for over two years now, the pandemic has kept us out of the Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studio. Joining me on the show is our social media director, Spencer The Wiz Ostrowski. Nobody beats the Wiz. Nobody beats the Wiz. Uh, yeah, that's right. The Wiz not only has his own studio, but he's got his own theme music as well. Hey, it's well-deserved. Also joining us back in the Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studio, manning the controls is producer Chris Magnum Chapman, who aside from producing a number of shows at Lotus Broadcasting, is the locker room reporter for the Vegas Golden Knights Radio Network. The show is also streaming on the LB Sports Network. And you can watch the show on Facebook Live and YouTube. The page is called Out of Line. That's O-U-T-T-A-L-I-N-E. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Out of Line Fox LB. And since we are live with calls and questions, welcome. The Fox Sports Residential Bank Club Studio Line is 702-876-1340. Hi, this is Bubby, and it's time for What's on Tap. What's on tap? Brought to you by title sponsor, Residential Bank Corp. Whether purchasing a new home or refinancing the home you already own, Residential Bank Corp is the company to turn to for all your home financing needs. Residential Bank Corp, funding America one neighbor at a time. Call 702-964-5720 today to get information on all the home financing options available in Nevada. On tap, another head coaching candidate could be on the radar for the Vegas Golden Knights. The Stanley Cup Finals are set and face off this week. The NBA Finals are not even the king is looking to bring the NBA to Las Vegas. A judge is making a strong bid to be a king in the MLB. And both the Las Vegas Aces and Aviators are in first place. That's what's on tap. If you are looking to buy a home or to refinance the home you currently own, choose the company to turn to. Uh, Residential Bank Corp, Funding America, one neighborhood at a time. Call 702-964-5720 for details on your home financing options today. Hey, before we get rolling, Spence, want to say hello. And you know, we were talking about, first of all, is there any way to turn these headphones headphones on? Maybe I'll take one one out of my ear. Because I'm like echoing a little crazy over here. It's loud. Uh, Sorry, I'll fix the thing. Okay, no, no worries, man. You know, I, I know you figure I'm hard of hearing. I'm getting old, so I'm thinking, you know, you turn up the volume. But I don't need a hearing aid quite yet. We'll get to one of those in a couple of weeks. <laughs> you know, I just wanted to say I wanted to thank Jay Schrader uh, last week for having us out to the Liberty Projects. A couple of my friends were in town, um, along with Brian Shapiro. We went out and played in the Liberty Projects golf outing um, out at the Revere Country Club in Henderson. Uh, we had a great time. I got to tell you, really, really cool to be out there. We had a couple of wild Mustangs, which is what the Liberty Project supports. In a pen out there, we got to see them. Beautiful day of golf. It just got really, really hot. And by the end of the uh, round, we were all dead. I mean, I was, I was completely finished. Had to go home and take a nap. I think we all did. And, uh, it pretty much took care of the rest of the Friday. But other than that, um, great time and a really, really great event for uh, – a great, a great cause, and that is the Liberty uh, Golf Projects. And uh, if you're watching Facebook Live, YouTube, you can see uh, uh, the um, you can see the uh, four of us out there on uh, on 
Friday morning. Pretty cool. Anyway, real quickly, uh, let's get over to, uh, we do have a new coaching candidate. I think he's a coaching candidate. It was my guess is the Vegas Golden Knights will, uh, will eventually interview this guy if they haven't already. And uh, we'll talk about that in this next segment. Go ahead, Spencer. Hockey players, as you know, are warriors. They don't give up. They come to play every game. It's time for Nightcap, a cup full of the Vegas Golden Knights. From highlights to interviews to special events, the puck starts here. Here for the Las Vegas Golden Knights. Um, you know, on the coaching front, it's been relatively quiet. Other than the reported Zoom call with Barry Trotz, there hasn't been much noise. Uh, but likely the silence means management is working on several scenarios and now former boston bruins coach bruce cassidy is available and possibly in the mix um he's kind of known for having communication issues with his players he even basically admitted that uh in his exit interview but i still think he is going to be on the radar i do think he'll get interviewed for the vegas golden knights head coaching job when it's all said and done and uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Chris, what's your thoughts, man? I'm sure you heard about it. What are, what are your thoughts on uh, uh, Bruce Cassidy potentially being a candidate for the Vegas Golden Knights vacancy? Well, I think it would be a, a, a really good hire um, next to Barry Trotz and maybe even ahead of Barry Trotz. I think based on age, he, he might be the, the guy who uh, you, you may want to hire. Uh, you look at his track record, and, and he's a guy who's been coaching in the NHL a long time. Uh, he, he obviously... Uh, as you mentioned, um, talked about his, his coaching with the Boston Bruins, went to a Stanley Cup final with the Bruins, did not win that Stanley Cup final. However, he had a long history within the Bruins organization as he coached the Providence Bruins, their uh, AHL affiliate, for about eight years there. But his NHL history goes back to 2002 when he was actually the coach of the Washington Capitals. And guess who hired him way back in 2002 when he was a coach of the Washington Capitals? Also fired him, but, uh, you know, Bruce has, has grown as a coach since then. Uh, he coached the Blackhawks in between there as well. But, uh, you know, he's a guy, I, I don't know the communication issues, right? Like, I think sometimes that, that could be overblown. Um, you know, I, I, I understand what he said, but, you know, I think I think it was a case of, of look, the, 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 the guy won a President's Trophy. The guy went to a Stanley Cup final, so clearly... He, he's an excellent coach. I will say this, though. The Boston Bruins also have done a really good job of putting quality teams and players on the ice. This year, I think they were derailed a little bit by uh, the fact that, that look, you, you had to replace Tuka Rask, who, who was one of the, the best goalies in the league for quite a few years there. Um, you know, Jeremy Swayman, I think, played well, but he, he's a kid. And the Linus Olmark signing didn't really pan out. Um, so now Boston is a team in transition. Look, I'm not shocked that he's out because you don't know what the status of Patrice Bergeron is. He's still up in the air. By the way, won another Selkie Award for Patrice. I think that's five or six for him. So they should just name the award after him. I don't know who Selkie is, but it's now the Patrice Bergeron Award. Um, so... Uh, you know, there, there's going to be a bunch of guys missing some time next year. A lot of guys, Bergeron's going to be out for, for a bit with an injury. They've got a couple of other, or not Bergeron, uh, Marshawn's going to be out a bit with an injury. They've got a couple of guys who, who quite honestly, they're, they're nearing the end. 
So I think the the time to make a change is now for the Boston Bruins, and and you're going to go through transition. So I'm not shocked that Bruce Cassidy was was let go by the Bruins. He also had one year remaining on his deal, just like yep. Pete DeBoer. So I think we we've seen a lot of this lately in the NHL. I think there there right now there's three guys who are head and shoulders ahead of everyone else on uh, the Golden Knights radar. And this is my opinion. I don't have any inside information, but I think another name that maybe is flying under the radar that, that we haven't heard of is uh, Jim Montgomery, former coach of the Dallas Stars, longtime college coach with Denver, won a national championship with Denver, had to step down as coach of the Dallas Stars due to some off-the-ice issues. He seems to have put those behind him. He's an assistant with the St. Louis Blues, and he's a guy who I think his system works really well with what the Golden Knights have in terms of personnel. Whether or not Jim is a serious contender, I don't know. But I think, in my opinion, he's the, he's one of the three guys who I think are 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 by far ahead of everyone else. Rick Tockett and Luke Richardson, two names also to keep an eye on. I, I, I guess we'll see. Brian, I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to say Barry Trotz will not be the head coach of the Golden Knights. I think a lot of people are, are, are crying for that and, and, cl- and clamoring for that. Look, let's be honest. One of the big things that we talked about at the end of the season was identity, and people wanted to see more offensive hockey. Well, you're not going to get that with Barry Trotz. In fact, you're going to see more of a shell and defensive style hockey than you saw under Pete DeBoer. I don't think that utilizes the talent that the Golden Knights have very well, which is why I think as much as Barry Trotz, the the name would would be great, I just don't think system-wise and personnel-wise it matches up well with what the Golden Knights have. I think Jim Montgomery, if it's a little bit more, Rick Tockett, a guy who did a really good job with the, with the Coyotes. But Cassidy's style is is a bit more free-flowing as well. You look at some of the offensive numbers that guys like Pasternak put up under Bruce Cassidy. They're, they're, they're eye-popping. Brad Marchand, guy had an, an amazing tenure with Bruce Cassidy in terms of, I mean, granted, he's, he's an amazing talent too, but a guy who, who put up tremendous offensive numbers. You've got a Selkie-style player, sorry, a Bergeron-style player in Mark Stone, a guy who, who you know, as much as, as, as he's able to do things offensively, he's gifted on the defensive end as well. So Bruce Cassidy makes a lot of sense from a lot of different angles. I think at the end of the day, Bruce Cassidy will be one of the finalists for this job. Whether or not they hire him, I don't know, but I think it would be a really good hire for the Golden Knights. In fact, I think it would be better than if they were able to hire Barry Trotz. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree with you at all. I don't think Barry Trotz is the guy for this job. I think it's uh, it would be thankless for him. I think unless they won a Stanley Cup, minimally got to the final next year, it would be considered an extreme disappointment if he took over the job. I mean, with him, it truly is win or bust. And I do like, um, I, you know, I do like what we're hearing in the different rumors. And I told you last week, I still think for some reason, I, I my gut, I lean towards Rick Tockett as the guy that's going to get this job. I know you don't. Uh, I just do. I, I think from what I've been hearing, and again, that's completely an opinion, but I just think he, uh, I, I, I think they're going to end up settling with him. I just do. I think he's gotten a great deal of exposure during the Stanley Cup playoffs. He's always on the television broadcast. I think it's made, uh, you know, a lot of Golden Knights fans have become hockey fans 
not just Golden Knight fans, and they're watching the playoffs, and they're seeing Rick talking a lot. So, again, just an opinion. Real quick, wanted to get to the uh, the Stanley Cup Finals. They are set. Um, a little bit of disappointment for all of us, Gerard Gallant, Ryan Reeves fans, although Reeves didn't dress for the last two games. Um, I think he pissed Gallant off uh, in game four when he uh, got that penalty late in the game. I think it really upset Gallant. Gallant did put him on the ice again for the last two games. Just an opinion again, because I know him and Gallant have a really good relationship. But, you know, the New York Rangers are the only the third team in NHL history to lose a series uh, we're in the conference finals of the Stanley Cup finals after having a two games to nothing lead and a multi-goal lead in game three. Uh, they were up two nothing, if you remember, in game three. And they are only the eighth team in Stanley Cup playoff history to lose a best of seven series in the playoffs after after having a two to nothing series lead and be winning by multiple uh, goals. Um, but again, the team that they did that against was the Tampa Bay Lightning. And uh, Chris, we talked about this team last week and said no, neither one of us really even scratched our head at the fact that the Rangers went up two goal, two games. You know, I had a feeling that those first two seven game series were going to wear on this team. And I really thought yesterday for part of the game, at least based on playoff hockey terminology the team was skating in wet cement they just did not have the jump and that 11-day layoff really ended up paying dividend for Tampa Bay not only the experience the Tampa the Tampa Bay Lightning have but man that layoff just seemed to get a jump it seemed to really help out especially guys like Kucherov who again to me marveling he had his yesterday his 150 career NHL point in the Stanley Cup playoffs and this guy, I said it last week, Chris, and I'll stand by this. In my lifetime, I've watched an awful lot of hockey. I've seen some great players, and I think I've got a pretty good knowledge of the history of this game, being from a town that that, that hosts one of the original six teams in the league. And a guy named Mr. Hockey coming from that town, I still will stand by this. I don't think I have ever seen a single player elevate his game in the postseason the way I see Kucherov do it. This guy just is unbelievable. Even on that second goal to Stamkos last night, that assist is just amazing. I mean, how he perfectly flutters the puck over the defender's stick right out of the tape of Stamkos, where he, even though even though the initial save was made, um, it still went off of his leg and into the net, and it was legit. But I mean, I mean, how good is Kucherov? You know, Chris, I know you've been into hockey for a bit, too. Have you seen players like elevate their game to the degree that this guy does when the postseason comes around? Well, when you look at his numbers, it's hard to argue otherwise. Um, you know, it, 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 it's funny that the Tampa Bay Lightning, they have what, what, what won them the series is the opposite of what I'll say this. The reason Tampa won the series and the reason why the Rangers didn't is you look at the production of their top lines. The Tampa Bay Lightning were carried by Steven Stamkos, Andre Palat, and Nikita Kucherov. The Rangers lost this series because they didn't get any production from their top line in the series. Guys like Mika Zibanejad, Chris Kreider, they absolutely disappeared in crunch time. That's a credit to how good the Tampa Bay Lightning are that they can make the Rangers' top line disappear. Uh, you know, you're you're right about Kucherov. He his playoff performances the last three years are are out of this world, and it, it's balanced by the fact that they have another guy 
on that roster, another Russian player who elevates his game in the postseason, yeah. unlike any goalie. I've, I can can we put it out there? If the Tampa Bay Lightning win the Stanley Cup final, I think a strong case can be made that Andre Vasilevsky is the greatest goaltender of all time in the postseason. You look at his numbers, Brian, the last three years, and more specifically, you look at his numbers in closeout games. Look at this year, Chris, since game three. The, the since the, Since they were up two goals to nothing in game three and Tampa Bay came back, the Rangers have scored three goals in the next three games. They scored three total goals. That's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, last night he allowed one goal in the game. Um, and and it, what's crazy, Brian, they had um, – what, what the Rangers had um, only 20 shots on goal, which which is kind of funny in, in a, in a must-win game that you'd only muster 20 shots on net. But in the last eight games – that the Tampa Bay Lightning have had an opportunity to win the series. Andre Vasilevsky has faced 221 shots. You know how many goals he's allowed in those eight games and those 221 shots? How many have gotten past him? Two. I'm, I'm waiting here. Two. The guy has allowed two goals in his last eight closeout games on 221 shots. That's unbelievable. You will never see numbers like that from any goalie because this guy is so much better than any goalie in the postseason who's ever played the game. I, I, I mean, you're you're talking about historical type of numbers, guys. Patrick Waugh, Dominic Hasek, they never had numbers as good as this guy in closeout games. Andre Vasilevsky, I've never seen. And, and look, I'm a huge Martin Brodeur fan. Martin Brodeur was not as good as Andre Vasilevsky in the postseason. And if the Lightning win the Cup, he will equal the amount of Stanley Cups that, that Brodeur had, which was three. But, I mean, Brian, we we are witnessing just an all-time performance by Andre Vasilevsky in the postseason. This guy is, you mentioned it, what, three goals you said in, in the last four games? Like, it, 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 it's unheard of the way how, how good this guy is when he needs to be. I've never seen a goalie play the game the way he does in the postseason, I, I, I mean, it, it's just unheard of. Like, I mean, even like you look at those those Islander teams, and I, I was very, very young. I don't remember them. Billy Smith was an amazing goalie. But, but he was. the, the, the fact was that we're, 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 we're on the cusp of a team that will have won three straight for the first time in, what, 40 years? Yeah, since those Islanders. Since those Islanders teams? Uh, you know, and, and the funny thing is the Islanders run was, was ended by the Edmonton Oilers and Edmonton, I, by the way, the, the first team, uh, they're the last team to go to three state straight Stanley cup final appearances from 1983 to 85. The Oilers did win four Stanley cups in in five years. Uh, that little run, they were kind of interrupted by, uh, Patrick Waugh and the Montreal Canadians back in 86. But Chris, I will say, I, I can't disagree with you as good as guys, two guys that you did not mention in Kenny Dryden and Grant Fuhrer, who both got four Stanley cups. The difference is. Like you said, 
the Tampa Bay Lightning really are carried by that first line. Stamkos, Kucherov, and um, Palat are as good of a line as any in the, in hockey at any period. But the point is they really are carrying this Lightning team. When you look back at that great Montreal four-season run where they won the Stanley Cup four straight years, followed by four straight Stanley Cups by the Islanders and what Billy Smith did, and then f- four out of five Stanley Cups by the Edmonton Oilers, all three of those teams – they were three lines deep. Their third line carried them in games. You don't see that with the Tampa Bay Lightning like you did with those teams. And that is why it's hard to argue about Andrew, about Vajileski because of the fact he, he is constantly making great saves. You had unbelievable defenses in front of all those goaltenders that we talked about. You know, again, Kenny Dryden, Chris, as a young guy when I first started getting into hockey, I mean, he was big. He was strong. He took up the entire net. And he was so hard to get the puck pass. But they had one of the greatest defensemen ever to play the game in Larry Robinson in front of him a lot of the times. Now, granted, uh, you know, Vajileski does have in, in Hedman, one of the greatest defensemen, in my opinion, of all times as well. I don't know that there's ever been a defenseman bigger in stature. But again, and then you look at those, uh, you know, you look at the, the New York Islanders and the defensemen on that team. Unbelievable defensemen. Guys that I I, I, I wanted to play hockey because of some of the, the, the defense of that Islanders team. And same thing when you look at the Edmonton Oilers, a, a, a ridiculously talented defense, big, strong, powerful. And you just, again, not that the Tampa Bay Lightning are not a very sound team all the way around. They are, but I, I can't agree. I, I can't disagree with the Vajelowski. If he's not the greatest of all time, he, he's in that, con- he, you open the conversation talking about him. And again, one of the things when you talk about the Tampa Bay Lightning, Chris, and I'll end it on this and get your thoughts. But when I talk about the Tampa Bay Lightning, one of the guys that just is not talked about enough, and I keep saying it. He is the greatest coach in the NHL, and I think he needs to be talked about amongst the greatest coaches ever. And that is John Cooper. This guy just orchestrates this team. And as a matter of fact, after the game, I think Spencer's got the sound, don't you? Of After the game, you talk to three two-time Stanley Cup defending champions uh, on their way to their third straight finals. Uh, in this little bite, you'll hear from Steven Stamkos, Pat Mar- uh, Maroon, and John Cooper. These are the games you live for as a kid, so um, it was it was everything I thought it was going to be and more. I mean, to, to give ourselves a chance to go to the finals three years in a row is something that's amazing. And to have a part in it tonight was, was certainly icing on the cake. Honestly, I'm still in shock right now. This is honestly what a feeling this is. But obviously, we got some, uh, we're not done yet. We still got another series to win. And uh, it takes a lot of work. But those, like I said... There's no quit in that locker room. The sacrifices we do, we're a family in there. We're built to, we're built to do this. When you're growing up in Canada, uh, you always dream about having your name on the Stanley Cup. And to get there the first time was, I mean, it was a dream come true. To get there a second time, like the next year, was like... It was uh, like a dream. Like, there's no way we're, we're going back. And to go a third time is unthinkable. Uh, you know, it's not unthinkable. It's it's not even unfathomable. It's happening. And Tampa Bay's going there a third time. And as quick 
as the Colorado Avalanche are, as talented, as deep, and the fact that they picked up Darcy Kemper from Arizona this past offseason and really shored up. I think he was an upgrade from being a Tim. I do. Um, uh, not, but, but the point is, is I um, – I, I'm kind of at a loss what this team has done because unlike the Canadians, we talked about this a bit last week, Chris, unlike the Canadians and the Islanders and the Oilers, those teams every year, if they didn't win the President's Cup, they were on the precipice of the President's Cup. They were one, one or two games behind it. Every season, if you look back on their runs, they were one of the best teams in hockey. Now, Tampa has a good record every year but they're not winning the President's Cup every year. As a matter of fact, this year, they were almost in the middle of the pack for a while. Last year, they didn't have Kucherov for almost the entire season and ended up coming on strong like they did this year in the Stanley Cup Finals. And I attribute this, especially last year without Kucherov, a lot to the coaching ability of John Cooper and how good this guy orchestrates that team. Granted, he put some good players on the ice, but he is a great coach. Yeah, there there is zero doubt about how good of a coach that John Cooper is. The fact that the guy hasn't won a Jack Adams award is is mind-boggling. Um, you know, it's funny. You mentioned the President's Trophy, and Tampa did win one, yep. and they were swept out of the playoffs by the Columbus Blue Jackets when they did win it. So I think what, what they're showing you, and the funny thing is they swept the, the team that won the President's Trophy this year in the Florida Panthers. So... Um, President's Trophy doesn't always equal success in the Stanley Cup playoffs. But, uh, you know, the, the the funny thing about John Cooper is the guy wasn't a hockey coach. He w- Believe it or not, the guy went to Hofstra University, which is out on Long Island, and he was a lacrosse player. And he became a lawyer. And he was asked by one of the partners at the law firm if he wanted to coach a youth hockey team with him. And Cooper decided it would be fun and got into it. How about that? The fact that the guy began—I mean, I mean, the story of John Cooper is something of a Disney movie. The fact that the guy was a lawyer—I mean, it's almost like the Mighty Ducks, the movie without without John Cooper being a a you know a terrible person. Like John Cooper is the opposite personality-wise of Gordon Bombay, but the story of him coaching a youth hockey team and then becoming a Stanley Cup champion coach is is kind of similar. It, it's it's wild how this guy doesn't have a Jack Adams award. I I think it kind of pisses him off a little bit because he deserves it. Uh Brian, the, the the guy is when when it's all said and done and John Cooper hangs it up and and credit to the front office of of the Tampa Bay Lightning because yeah. John Cooper was in a contract year, and they got swept by the Columbus Blue Jackets. They could have made the decision to move on, and they didn't. They knew what they had in John Cooper. And because I actually heard back when that happened that Cooper was kind of on the chopping block. And Tampa Bay players went to upper management and actually stood up and said, this guy can coach. We really yeah. like him. Yeah. And and I mean, that to have players, I don't know, and, and no offense to him because we love Gerard Glenn. I don't know that players actually went and said anything to George McPhee and said, hey, what are you doing, man? We love this guy. Man, they made sure before it got out there because once you've announced that a, a coach is fired, you're not gonna you're not gonna retool that and say no, he's not. So they went right up front, having fear that Cooper might get let go, and said, "This is a guy that can lead us to a championship." And when you're hearing that from players like Steven Stamkos, you're gonna listen, right? Yeah, and they yeah. did. It, it, and, it's and, amazing. And yep, 
It really is. It is a great story. That being said, before we get out of this, I want I want prediction. Spence, I'll let you jump in on this one as well. Um, I'll, I'll start it right off now. You know, as good as Colorado is, and this team is going to be a handful, especially as the series wears on. It was a tough series because uh, Tampa Bay had to use up a lot of emotional energy coming back from being down to to love. We'll put it that way. However, I am still going to say I'm going to say this series goes seven games and Tampa Bay wins it in seven games based on experience. And then again, because part of me, as much as as tired as I'm getting of the city of Tampa Bay winning championships and being in championships, um, I can't stand the Colorado Avalanche. Being a Detroit Red Wing fan and now a Vegas Golden Knight fan, that's an arch enemy and has been for as long as they've been around. So I would love to see Colorado fans suffering after a Game 7 loss, and I'm going to say that's what happens. Like Chris said last week, until somebody beats this team, I'm not. I'm not doubting them, Chris. What do you think? Yeah, I, I'm along the same lines. Um, I, I will say this: Tampa Bay is battle tested. They have won playoff series this year. They came back to beat the Toronto Maple Leafs. They were down three games to two. They were on the brink of elimination, and, and then it was Andre time. It was Vassy time in in the remaining two games. Um, you know, it, it, then they 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 get to a point where they're playing the Presidents trophy-winning team, and they absolutely obliterate the Florida Panthers. They, they, Florida had no shot at all in that series. And then they come back from two games to none to beat the New York Rangers, almost like it, was, like it was no big deal. I think this is the best team Colorado's will, will play because every team that they've played so far has had faults. Um, you know, Nashville sucked. They, they probably didn't belong there. They were there, but they sucked. The St. Louis Blues lost their goalie, so they had goaltending issues in that series. Edmonton, great offensive team, terrible on the defensive end. Nobody really in net. Mike Smith was a bit absent in that series. Colorado has had a much easier road to get there by virtue of the fact that the teams that they've played just really weren't at their best. Tampa is battle-tested. They're hardened. They've got the best goalie in the world on their side. They've got playoff performers, and I think it really comes down to goalie. I'm taking Andre Vasilevsky over Darcy Kemper every day of the week and twice on Sunday. There's no doubt in my mind that that's a strength for the Tampa Bay Lightning. I think I think the other aspect of this, the bottom six for Tampa is really good. Like, we know how good Pierre-Edward Belmar is. He's on their fourth line with Pat Maroon. That's, that's not a, that's and Corey Perry. That is not your average fourth line. No. Tampa Tampa is deep. They've got they've got uh um Pat Maroon going for his fourth straight Stanley Cup cuz he was with yeah. the Blues when they with won the theirs. Sure. So I don't I, I give the coaching edge to Tampa. I give the goalie edge to Tampa. I think the first line I think Colorado's is probably better, but I think top to bottom Tampa's a better team. I think they'll I think they'll win the series. I don't know if it goes six or seven, but I, I think it's gonna be a great series, Brian. But I do think at the end of the day, we are watching the Tampa Bay Lightning win their third consecutive Stanley Cup. I, I can't argue with you. You mentioned Pierre Edouard Belmar. It's really cool. This guy just keeps getting on great teams. Golden Knights, uh, their first year, of course, he was with them when they went to the uh, Stanley Cup final. Uh, played with Colorado the last couple of years, even though they haven't they haven't made it. Uh, they've been one of the best teams in hockey. And now, what fortune. This guy goes from Colorado to Tampa, both teams in the Stanley Cup final. And, uh, you know, this may be the year that Pierre Edouard Belmar is finally on. 
a Stanley Cup championship team. Spencer, I'll bring in real quick uh, your opinion. I know you've watched it a little bit. Who wins the Stanley Cup and why? I think that uh, the Lightning are going to run into an avalanche, no pun intended. But uh, I think actually that Colorado is going to win this in six games. So bold prediction. I just think that they've wanted this so bad. And I think this is the team that they want to play. As crazy as that sounds, they've had some really devastating losses in the playoffs. And they felt like they deserved to be in the finals maybe once or twice before this meeting. So uh, I think they're going to come in with a lot more energy. And I think Tampa Bay has had to exert a lot just to get to the Stanley Cup finals. And maybe when they come into a, like a, pretty much a fresh team in Colorado, when they come into it, I think if they can take at least games one and two or split them at some point. I think if they can split at least the first two games, I'll take Colorado in six. Uh, you know, Colorado definitely could win this series easily. Landis Gog McKinnon, as talented as any players in the National Hockey League. Darcy Kemper, again, was an upgrade. I'm still blown away that Arizona got rid of their only uh, potential all-star player in him. But I, I, like I said, Spence, I get it. And I think conventional wisdom would say that Colorado having as good of a record as they did, having everybody healthy right now, and having the rest that they just had, should be able to make a bid for this year's Stanley Cup. Uh, Stanley Cup, But I don't see it. Like I said, until somebody knocks down Tampa Bay, I'm going to go with the Lightning, and I think it's in seven. Um, moving on, Spence, you know, I'll talk to you about this. The NBA Finals, I know you are locked in. I got to say that this year I have probably paid more attention to the NBA Finals than I have in the past several. It's been exciting. And, you know, for the, the this year, probably even last year, I, 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 I knew it was going to be Milwaukee or Phoenix. This year, I was really scratching my head to pick an NBA champion. Like, man, there are four or five teams that could legit win it. And, um, you know, someone besides Milwaukee could win it from the East. I like the Celtics. I like their length. I like their defensive prowess. I like Al Horford getting into his first final. And, and man, the guy can play, play defense. He can hit from the perimeter. He's hitting outside shots. We have seen Jason Tatum turn himself into a bona fide superstar this year in the NBA, the NBA playoffs. Although at times he has disappeared, we still see the ability and the upside of this guy and to think how young he still is. The Celtics are here to stay for a little while, and I think this will be a team uh, that will battle for a bit. Golden State, on the other hand, you know, you just don't know. This is a team that's battle-tested. NBA Finals, they've got all the experience in the world that they need to win another championship, Spencer, and I think Game 5 was the pivotal game. I think Golden State winning that game in the Boston Garden was huge, but does that make me think in what is now a three-game series that – that Boston can't win two games or, or win a game in Golden State, you know, win a game in up in uh, the Bay Area? Yeah, I think they can. And the one thing, Spencer, that I want to ask you about, I mentioned it briefly and it, it drives me crazy, is what has happened to Golden State on the defensive end? Draymond Green is a shell of himself. He's only 32 years old. I mean, Steph Curry's 34, for God's sakes. Where, where has Draymond Green gone? What has happened to him? And I'll tell you, I'm starting to think, especially last game, I was amazed how long it took Steve Kerr to pull the plug on him and get him the hell out of the game and get Portis in. But then he brought him back in at crunch time again. Draymond Green has given him one or two quality rebounds a game, maybe a block shot, and once in a while a putback. He is a shell of the player he is, and he should not be seeing the minutes he's seeing, Spencer. Well, yeah, it's pretty interesting. And obviously, one of the biggest criticisms against Draymond Green has been that he goes and does a podcast after every game. It's very bizarre. We live in a very strange time. Uh, this is 
not what you would see out of typical basketball players. And it seems like he's more interested in life outside of the game than he is the actual product on the court, which is weird considering he's in the NBA Finals. There were a few things in that game that I thought were especially interesting. Of course, you have to mention how good Steph Curry was. I mean, he hit some of the craziest shots. And that's just what he does. I mean, at the end of the day. That's second kinda... half, after the first half, you're like, oh, my God. Steph Curry, something about the second half and especially the third quarter, Spencer. It's like, you know, Rapunzel, somebody wakes him up. And my God in heaven, when they wake him up, he is as dangerous as he's ever been at 34. No, for sure. And so that was one thing. But the other, like, with that being said, and he obviously had like a 43-point game, I think the Celtics really shot themselves in the foot, especially in the last three minutes. I mean, it was Marcus Smart shooting a three, Al Horford's chucking up threes. It's like the ball doesn't even get to Jason Tatum's hand. And I'm not saying the Celtics can't win the rest, like win the finals. I think they have a very good chance of doing that. I don't think they mind, especially thinking when the next game, they have a chance to win it at home. Of course, that's the most ideal situation. But I think they could even win a game in game seven. Uh, we've, we've seen uh, the Golden State Warriors lose a game seven at home uh, against LeBron James and the Cavaliers. So that's obviously like not the deciding factor there. Well, look what Dallas did to Phoenix in a game seven at home. It was like they weren't even there. I mean, yes, and the Celtics have that ability to win on the road. I agree with you 100%. And to me, aside from Draymond Green, and I have I have been saying this for years, and I'm not alone. It's not like it's a, a, a fantastic observation. It's, it's blatant to see if you're watching the game. But the biggest liability for the Golden State Warriors, Spencer, is Steph Curry. As big as he, as great as he is offensively, and as much as you can count on him for hitting big shots, he is a defensive liability, and he continues to be. I mean, you saw him, what was it, in game three, where he, he looked stunned when, when Derek White hit that long three-pointer. Why were you stunned? Get in his face. Put your hands up, for God's sakes. He doesn't defend, Spencer. He doesn't defend on the perimeter. He can't stop dribble penetration. And this is a guy that is a bona fide superstar in the NBA. But again, when it comes down to it, defense wins championships. And Golden State, as good as they were offensively in their championship run, Spencer. And hey, they could be on another one right now. Draymond Green, Andre Iguodala. They're still with the squad, but they're not what they used to be. And that can be a problem. Oh, it can be, especially when you look at the center position. Uh, Looney played pretty well, actually, in the last game. But when you look at the matchup with Robert Williams, obviously, there's just a huge mismatch. Yep. Uh, I think it's, you know, when you look at Steph Curry, I think they did a better job of masking him defensively in the last game. I think he focused more on like not uh, stopping the dribble penetration and maybe taking the low post with Jason Tatum. I saw Marcus Smart did it a couple of times. I mean, obviously the Celtics wanted to go after it, but like with all of that being said, I think the Celtics played against themselves just a little too much. I think they were in control most of that game and really it was incredible. Steph Curry quite literally kept them in the game. I think it would have been a 20 point blow at otherwise they started, you know, missing those loose balls. The Celtics did toward the end. And then they stopped going away from their star players, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, which isn't a great recipe, you know, for success. And I think that while yes, you know, I, I kind of talked about this, how it all, it comes down to the other guys for the Celtics, but that is only like to a flaw. You can't have them be the primary. They can't have the secondary guys be so good or or so relevant, so prevalent on the offense that they start taking shots away in the last two minutes. You know, that obviously you can't just completely ice them out of the game. But, you know, Jason Tatum should probably be the guy bringing the ball up in the last two minutes of that game because they are going to be close. It's the NBA Finals. It's how it works. You can expect to see that multiple times. And really, even though all the scores have been blowouts, technically like 10 points, they've been close. They've been kind of teeter-tottering on that last two minutes, 30. So they've been close games, you know, overall. And I think part of that may be that the Celtics are such a young team 
you know, they like their best players are obviously below 25 years old. And I think you saw a little bit of that. It was just as disappointing to see them play the way that they did because they kind of just gave up on themselves and started chucking, which is not what got them to the finals. And it's not what won them that first game in Golden State. No, they're not. They're not a chuck and gun team. Uh, they, they are a team that plays defense. And you mentioned Jalen Brown. I mean, talk about another guy whose stock has risen this year in the NBA playoffs. The biggest issue with him is he turns the ball over too much. If he can limit his turn the turnovers, he's one of the best players in the NBA as well. I mean, this kid can play anywhere. He can do it all. And he plays very good defense. He's stout defensively, which is huge. And which, which why that's the difference is the stars of the Celtics play defense. Uh, you know, the stars of the, the Golden State Warriors can't anymore. And, you know, once Clay Thompson gets completely healthy, he's a better defender than we've seen. And he's also a much more consistent offensive player than we've seen. He finally had a decent game last game, but they need him to get going. But the thing is, that was a monster win for Golden State. They now, um, you know, they now got hold home home court advantage back, which is going to be a big thing. But like you said, this Celtics team is young enough not to realize how important home court advantage is. And yes, they could win a game seven in Golden State because I do think Golden State wins the next game, Boston wins game six, and then it comes down to a game seven. And a team like Golden State could think maybe the way Phoenix did in game seven against Dallas, we got this. Look what we do at home. And that's where you get beat. And the key is defense wins championship. The better defensive team in the NBA finals is definitely the Boston Celtics. It's just they have to play defense throughout. Like you said, Spencer, you can't panic at the end of the game and start chucking balls up from the rafters. Do what gets you there. They have guys like Williams, like Horford, like Tatum, like Brown that can play inside, that can take the ball to the basket, and they need to do that more. You can't settle for, for guys like Horford taking shots and White taking shots from the perimeter late in games when you need baskets. Get the ball inside of the low post because there's guys that can do that or dribble penetrate and take the ball directly to the basket. I think that's going to win it for them. And utilize and manipulate Golden State's poor defense. Devise a game plan to, to make them go at Steph Curry because Steph Curry continuously gets in foul trouble when you take the ball right at him. He is not a good enough defender to not foul. And that's where I think that Boston has their best chance of winning the game. I think most people, if you're going to talk to most people, again, conventional wisdom, it says Golden State wins this series, no problem, maybe even wins the next two. I don't see it. I'm still going to stick with the Celtics in seven games, and I think they're going to find a way to win it. Pretty interesting, but uh, we'll see down the stretch. I like I like your thoughts on it, Spence, um, and I think we're going to see a couple of more good games. It was nice to see a close game for the most part in game four. I just think, you know, uh, for the Celtics, they would have liked to have seen it go the other way. All right, Spence, go ahead and hit it. Facts this. If you don't like the facts, take your ass back to bed. Fact this. Aaron Judge hit two more home runs yesterday to run his league-leading total to 24, which is seven more than any other player. The last player with a home run lead that large was Alex Rodriguez in 2007. This, based on history, means Aaron Judge will hit over 50 home runs and be this season's MVP. True or false, Spencer? Um, I'll go with true. I mean, I think if you have that big of a lead, and I think also part of these awards, at least in my opinion, are at least a little bit based on popularity. And as long as you can, like, as long as a good, a popular player is playing well, I think you can just go ahead and slot that player. And now there's a whole season 
Uh, obviously, he's had some health problems throughout his career, and there's a long it's a long baseball season. So if he's out for extended periods of times, you know, he may be disqualified from it. As of right now, they're giving the award away today, which is like one of the biggest sports cliches probably ever. Yes, it is Aaron Judge for MVP. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be tough for Aaron Judge not to be MVP this year. I can't say tough. There's a lot of players that that obviously can step up, but we still got a long season to go. But this early to have 24 home runs already, and we're still weeks away from the All-Star break. I mean, it's scary to think this guy could have 34, 35 home runs, Spencer, by the All-Star break and actually threaten the 70 home, 71 home runs Barry Bonds hit, which would be unbelievable. Well, even more important, than the home like than you know all of that the the all-star games the mvps remember he turned down a huge contract this uh, last off season he says i want more and i'm going to show you that i deserve more and uh he bet on himself it, it has not worked out for some players we've seen isaiah thomas the former celtics the the five nine guard who said to back up the brink trucks because he thought he was going to get the biggest contract of his life and here it is aaron judge said all right i'm going to have the you know the best season of my career and he is so far to you know to his credit Spencer nobody other than the Yankees has won 40 games in Major League Baseball yet this year the Yankees have won 43 they're the best team in baseball this year hands down the favorite to win the World Series uh they've got the battery working too they've got a good pitching staff this year and really when you talk about uh winning a World Series you gotta have a staff they not only have a good starting staff Spencer they have good middle relievers and a good closer this is a very very dangerous Yankee team maybe the best we have seen in years they've added the pieces that I think they need and in Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Judge, you have two of the biggest home run, biggest guys in baseball, biggest names, and they're both superstars, and they're both playing like superstars right now. This Yankee team is as scary as can be, and looking forward to seeing them as the season goes on. I can't stand the Yankees, but I love watching quality baseball, and every time they take the field this year, it's quality baseball. Yeah, I don't think anybody can stand the Yankees. I, uh, I'm i also on that list of people who hate them. <laughs> Many are. Uh, real quick, one of the things I wanted to mention um, also, and it's going back to the NBA for one second. I don't know if most of you heard this past week, but LeBron James has talked about it for a while, being an owner um, in the NBA, be owning a franchise. He is the first ever player to reach billionaire status while still playing. Michael Jordan, of course, reached it, but after his playing days, LeBron James, James is a franchise all of himself. Love or hate the king, he is the king right now. Is he the greatest player of all time? I'll dispute that. So will many others. But again, eight straight final appearances, NBA final appearances. Nobody's ever done that before. Um, granted, I think what he get three championships out of it, but it doesn't matter. Eight straight appearances. He is without question. When you talk about the greatest players of all time, if you don't have him in the conversation then you don't know the game, LeBron James talked about it recently, uh, him purchasing an NBA franchise and doing it here in Vegas. I want to own a team. Buy a team. Yeah. I want to buy a team. That's it. There for you sure. Go. There you go. Buying a right. team and then talking is a little tricky. Uh, if you own the team and like yeah, I would much rather own a team before I talk. I want yeah, I want a team in Vegas. Good for you. Oh yeah. my god. <laughs> I want the team in Vegas. Silver denied rumors the league it could expand as early as 2024 during a press conference before the NBA Finals last week. He said that talk is not true. 
at least maybe there are people talking who are not at the league office about us potentially expanding after the 2024 season. We are not discussing that at this time. As I said before, at some point, this league invariably will expand, but it's not at this moment that we are discussing it. But we all know that Adam Silver does love Las Vegas. He has made that very clear. He respects sports gambling done legally and professionally, which it is now all over the country. Um, But uh, LeBron James, an NBA owner in Las Vegas, we all know he's hanging around to play with his son. We all know that. He said he wants to play one year wherever his son goes. He's going to negotiate and get himself on the team. The question is, not will that happen, because I think unless something happens to him physically or his son doesn't pan out, they will end up in the NBA on the same team together. LeBron has a way of putting teams together. Uh, they allow that to happen. And I know Spencer shaking his head over there. But I will say this, Spencer. I, I think it's inevitable that he will play with his son in the NBA. The question is, will he be the first ever owner player? Now, we know there's been managers that have been players before. Pete Rose did it in baseball. So have others. Will there be the first ever owner player at the same time? That would uh, be interesting. I doubt it. I doubt it. I think that's probably something you want to wait till after your career. But I, I just, when you're talking about LeBron's son, I just think it's a very interesting point. If he pans out, doesn't he automatically pan out if LeBron James? Uh, well, is he automatically he's going to your gets team? a seat in the NBA somewhere. That doesn't mean he pans out. But what? Well, when you say the word "pan out," that means it. Like you know, maybe not the player does, but if you get, you're essentially drafting LeBron James again at his age, which is. Honestly, I think is an unfair spot to put on your son. I know you like he's giving him a one-stop shop to the NBA, like when literally nobody else gets that kind of opportunity. But I, I don't know. It, it does feel weird. It kind of feels like he, <laughs> it's not using his son, but uh, it's like now he'll always be known as the guy like who was drafted so that LeBron James would go to your team. Like that's the start of his career. Now, can he carve out his own? And yeah, he's pretty good. I think he's like probably a second-round pick at some point. Maybe he comes at first because of LeBron alone. Uh, so there's a lot of weird aspects to it. And that's just how influential LeBron James is. Like, this guy controls the game because he's talking about this. And now everyone knows that his son is going to be drafted and that he's going to go there. And no one can do anything about it. It's, it's it's pretty amazing. He does control the game. But he's the first ever player, I think, in any sport to be a billionaire while he's still playing. Amazing. So that really is. Uh, Tiger Woods just became it, a billionaire, it, it, too, by the way. Yeah, it's a tribute to him. That's an individual sport. But as far as a team sports player goes, it's pretty crazy. And uh, give him all the credit in the world. Real quickly, Spence, I want to talk about the Las Vegas Aces during Aces Up. Uh, They continue to be the hottest and best team in the WNBA. They beat the LA Sparks yesterday on the road, 89-72. Asia Wilson goes off with 35 points. They're now 11-2 on the season, three and a half games clear of the Seattle Storm in the Western Conference, and two games better than the Connecticut Sun for the best record in the WNBA. I keep saying it, Spencer, I just don't see how this year's squad doesn't bring Las Vegas their first their first uh, ch- professional championship. Well, there, there's one aspect that I, I've been talking about this since the first year they came here. I was talking about it when I was scouting Asia Wilson when in college. She shot 40% from three-point range in college. You can look it up. It's in her stats. She didn't attempt one three in all of her first three years of being in the WNBA. She shot four last night and hit one. So I'm not saying that she's the most prolific three-point shooter the WNBA has ever seen. But her, by her doing that, it is, it's changed everything because before she'd get the ball at the elbow, like we're playing 1960s basketball and she'd have to like either distribute to the lower post to Liz Cambage or like pass back out to a crowded perimeter. Now, when she's on the outside and you have to respect her, 
I mean, that the possibilities of when you do that, and I think that's what's been so great about Becky uh, in, in changing the way that the offense runs, besides making them faster just in general. Although even, you know, in the first few years, I think they led the league in fast break points. But you can tell, like, that's just like a stat and I hate just numbers. When you watch them play, they're a faster team. They're pushing the ball down the court a lot more and they're just giving Asia Wilson more freedom. And of course, Kelsey Plum finally, after all these years has the freedom that she deserves offensively too. So they didn't need all these superstars. And I think even if you look at Liz Cambage now, I mean, her career is starting to decline pretty hard. I mean, it's just the thing about her is that she just, like basketball isn't the most important thing in her life. And I think that's what's in the problem. But when you look at the Aces basketball, especially after they lost in the playoffs last year, they were crying at the podium, which is not easy to do because like we're standing there, we're watching them. It's a very vulnerable state to be in when people are asking questions. Yep. That's how much they care about the game. And now that they have the coach to kind of match with that, I think you're seeing an explosion of talent and something that we've been wanting to see since the day they arrived here, especially Asia Wilson. No question about it. Asia Wilson, one of the faces, if not the face of the WNBA, even though she might not be the greatest player ever. You look at Diana Tarazzi, you look at Sue Bird, you look at uh, Brit, uh, Brittany Stewart, you look at uh, Brittany Griner. Uh, I mean, the bottom line is there are some great players, but Asia Wilson with her personality, she is the most accommodating player. She's got the personality and she really is the face of the WNBA, I think in a lot of people's opinion. And then again, you talked about Kelsey Plum. It wasn't Kelsey Plum getting the freedom to do what she's doing. Lambeer tried to give her the freedom she just wasn't being the scorer that she was when she was playing at Washington Spencer to be one of the greatest college scorers of all time. She wasn't doing it. Now she is. And really also the, 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 the emergence of Jackie Young. You know, you weren't thrilled when they drafted her. I think a lot of people were kind of surprised when they could have had what most people considered a better player at the time than Jackie Young. However, Jackie Young this year, especially, I think going to the Olympics last year and playing in that yeah, three on three tournament really gave her a great deal of confidence to say, wow, I'm good enough to play in the Olympics. She came back and she has not been the same player since. And this year she is a player that now is being counted on. And I'll tell you what, this team, believe it or not, I can't believe I'm saying this. I don't think this team wins a WNBA championship without Jack Young. That is how important she has become to this team. Obviously, Derrica Hamby, one of the best six, six players off the bench in WNBA history. But Jackie Young, wow, is all I can say, Spencer. Yeah, there's just one last thing I wanted to say. And I, I've been meaning, first of all, there's a power forward on the team. I can't think of her name off the top of my head. It's kind of a strange one. Her three-point shooting ability has also changed the dynamic of this team. But more than anything, and something that I admire so much about Becky's coaching, she plays these guys, these, guys, these, these girls, these women, to the same level or the same minutes as NBA players. I never understood why you had to prorate minutes in the WNBA so that proportionally, like, no, they can play NBA starter minutes, and that's what's happening, and that's another big reason why they're playing, why they're winning so many games, because they're playing more basketball The starters. The better players are playing more. It's that simple, but she's doing it. No, she's right. Real quickly, I also want to mention uh, the Las Vegas Aviators. By the way, the Aces uh, will, are out of town. Uh, they'll play Wednesday, the Wings, but they're back playing the Lynx at um, the Michelob Ultra Arena on Sunday, uh, this next Sunday. And also, the Las Vegas Aviators, same thing, man. They are in first place. After winning nine straight, they've gone two and three in their last five games. They've got a bunch more road games to play, but they are in first place 
in the Western Division of the Pacific Coast League. Second best record in the Pacific Coast League. And a tribute to uh, the coaching staff. Uh, Riordan's done a great job there. But really, I think, man, the Las Vegas ballpark would light up anybody. And I really think it actually elevates these guys' games. Listen, we're out of time. want to thank Chris Magno Chapman back in studio. Spencer the Wiz Ostrowski. I'm Brian Feldman. This is Out of Line. We will be back next week, same time, Sunday, right here on Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM. 1340 AM. We appreciate you. Bye-bye.